Hey, Real Talk listeners. We are in our third episode of the series. And this episode, we're talking about how do we find a great HR partner to work with? And it's so interesting because we had some really great comments come out of the last discussions um, in our last series. I mean, really, so many different leaders rely on HR to be their one of their advisors. And we talked about advisors as one of the kind of three tips in our last episode on how you really prepare for roles. But, you know, having an HR person, I mean, I can't emphasize this enough. HR is a critical role. We aren't here to require anybody to do anything. We're here to make recommendations, the best recommendations for you, for your people initiatives. And so it's interesting because sometimes we make recommendations and they almost, leaders can almost interpret them as requirements. We never say it, but they almost look to us so much in that aspect that they're like, oh yeah, they're telling me what to do. We aren't ever telling you what to do. We're just having great conversations with you. But I think it's a critical component for us to talk through. You know, um, Tony from uh, one one of the first uh, episodes in our last series mentioned how critical it was to have an HR individual. And when they've gone without it during the pandemic, they saw, you know, major implications. And they now, you know, have have leveraged the people aspect a little bit further. And I think it's it's super critical for us to kind of talk through why HR partners are an important part of your role within an organization. And I, I, I mentioned this, right? One of the first things like politicians, they never have s- surround themselves with HR um, partners. And when you first start an organization, you never... R- like there's rarely the HR partner that is part of the founding leaders of the organization when startups happen. It's only until later when they grow and they're like, crap, like we're expanding and we don't know how to focus on these people initiatives or what benefits people are interested in or how we develop because we're rapidly growing. Like how do we get our technology skill set on board? So there's a multitude of, of things that go into human resources that leaders don't think about. They just think, oh, if I get a legal advisor, like I'm good. But Michelle, I mean, like this is super important for us in an organization to talk through with executives or soon to be leaders, growing leaders, aspiring leaders as HR, you know, to our C-suite as any individuals or an advisor that we may be to a politician. Like this is an essential function that people need to consider a little bit further. I completely agree with you. I think you guys have heard me say this before. The details of the legalities in HR make my head hurt. Doesn't mean that I don't pay attention to them because that is part of the role. Everybody has pieces of their job that they like more than other pieces of it. So now you know the pieces I don't care about my job, right? But I think one of the things that tends to frustrate me as it relates to HR roles is that companies are quick to say, I need that for the legalities of it. Yep, yeah, sure do. HR people happen to be experts in things like benefits and labor laws, and (laughs) they keep you out of getting into trouble. But that is not the primary role. I think that as soon as we start looking at HR role as business advisors, as someone whose expertise happens to be 
around people-related aspects of your business. And guess what? Tire business operates because of your effing people. Notice I said effing and not the word. Um, <laughs> so we won't have to get an explicit rating. It operates because of your people. You've got to have a people philosophy. You've got to. So shift your focus from they help me with the legal stuff to they help me with my people policies and philosophies. You can think about it also, like with any support role, there are the elements of the role that are strictly functional, like writing a handbook for people in HR. It's a functional part of our role. We do it, right? But an executive assistant, if you have a great executive assistant, you don't say she manages my Outlook calendar. You say she keeps me, he or she keeps me organized. A function of that role is that he manages your calendar and your travel and your day-to-day activities. But that's not the way you think about that role. You think about that person as someone who keeps the pieces of your life together. And that's the way you need to start thinking about HR. You need to bring HR in before you hit that magic number of employees. Because at that point, you've already sort of established what your leaders act like. You've already established what is acceptable to do in the workplace. You've already created a culture in your business. And now you've got HR that's going to have to undo what has been done. Bring HR in quick and bring them in early and bring them in for more than just writing a handbook. Yeah, I think that's important, you know, for you to bring them in ahead of time. I think, you know, one of the things that uh, you also mentioned, Michelle, when we were kind of talking about this in our planning session was that HR person is there to to protect the business and not just the employees, which is interesting because you know, when I'm in HR and organization, I say I, I I don't really work for either. I don't work for the business. I don't work for the employees. I work for both and in a multitude of factors, right? So I'm not here to just, you know, because employees will call me and they'll be like, oh, you're just going to go back to the business and tell them I did this and blah, 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 right? Which means the employees then don't trust you. And then you're, you know, if you're going to the business constantly and just saying, hey, your employees are constantly unhappy. You just need to fix this and throw more money at it. The business is like, who the hell are you? You're not working for us. You're not trying to create cost savings initiatives, right? So I think it's a balance between the both of those situations. And I think it's, you know, really critical for leaders, uh, for an organization. Gosh, to think about this. And again, politicians too, right? Government, things like that. They need to surround themselves with more HR individuals. Like, I can't emphasize this enough. It drives me crazy, Michelle. Crazy. I know it does. Your head of HR, whatever title you give that person, should report directly to the CEO. I have seen organizations where that is not the case. There needs to be a clear breakage so that... It's not perceived as in I work for this or I work for them, I work for this. It's a we work for the betterment of the people impacted 
in this business and this business, right? And so HR spent a lot of time. I've had leaders go, we serve two leaders. We we serve as advisors based on the breadth of our knowledge in people relations in order to make a company successful and individuals successful. That's what we do. Sometimes what we recommend might have a negative impact on uh, some people. Sometimes it might have a positive impact on some people and short-term implications to a business expense. But it's still just us trying to serve the greater good of anyone associated with that brand. So for me, when I think about finding an HR partner, there are only two things that I feel like from an onset that you got to say they must be able blah and blah. One, they must actually have a clue about HR. Okay. Okay, <laughs> uh, pumpkin. Um, you might think it's a good idea to make a a person from legal in charge of HR. You might be like, well, it's laws and it's laws and legal and they're a lawyer and that makes sense. So my head of HR is a former lawyer and it might work out for you. I don't want to say it's going to be bad every single time, but I am going to tell you that people in the law profession tend to act from a place of reducing risk not just making improvements, right? And so when you have somebody whose expertise is legal, they're going to focus on reducing risk. Reducing risk might end up resulting in poor engagement, poor leadership, poor culture. Um, It could, it could. I'm not saying it will, but it could. Um, So for me, that first piece is they need to actually have a clue about HR. For me, the second piece is that they have to be someone who is good as an advisor or a counsel. It has to be someone who's not just going to say yes, but there's a couple things. They have to be able to listen, apply what they're hearing to the situations, and then pull together the best solution. There are some skills that make advisors good at what they do, that you really need in a great HR person. It's a balance between investigation and strategy and questioning tactics. And then we use the knowledge of people relations to apply to all of that. So I'd say got to be a good advisor, has to understand HR. What about you, Maria? What would you say are the couple of things you got to have right away? You know, I think it's uh, it's critical for somebody to come in and listen and understand the business priorities and objectives and be a true business partner with you and really align with your executive's mission, vision, and values, uh, you know, or own personal branding as we've previously discussed. And be able to help support you in those initiatives. I think it's a team effort and cross-collaboration. And being able to partner and have open discussions about 
what the challenges are and how you can both partner to coordinate and improve those challenges. Like if you're scaling a company rather quickly, I think it's critical for there to be thorough discussion around that. What does that look like? Get ahead of it. Be proactive. If you're going to bring in an HR person who you're going to leverage in a reactive way, it's not going to work. And if they're okay with being reactive, then you as an HR partner probably should be in a different profession or um, only do employee relations, like be the head of a COE model for ER, if you're okay with being reactive, because that's all you're going to be doing. Um, You're not going to have any sort of partnership with an executive or be able to leverage any sort of movement in getting ahead of things. And to me, it's not beneficial for me to be in constant fire drills. I don't think it brings any type of momentum to an organization. I don't think it does justice for the employees within the organization nor the executive either if you're going to constantly have fire drills. Now, granted, I'm seeing fire drills and like when executives listen to this, they're like, we always have fire drills at a company. Something like technology's down for the day. It's a fire drill. Okay, listen, I get, I get that's going to happen. But when I tell you COVID's just happened, we have to send people home and start getting them home, or these employees are going to start thinking, since they're not an essential business, that you are being more harmful to their health than good, and you decide to wait until the 10th hour, That's what I'm saying about an example of reactive, right? Fire drill, trying to do some things where you literally put your technology team in turmoil. You put a bunch of sales departments in turmoil and you put all of your people in turmoil and then you get all this bad PR as a result uh, or mass media, right? So that's what I'm saying about reactive. It's more towards the people initiative of things. I get that there's going to be fire drills in every business on a daily basis. It's just what happens. It's not ideal, an ideal state to live in. Um, And the whole point of executives are to try to identify and try to figure out the the future approach and try to get ahead of those fire drills that happen in business. Totally understand. Um, But I think that's the most critical component when you're looking for an HR person, someone who can be direct with you and not fearful of, you know, any type of response and push back up, push on you a little bit further and challenge you in some of your theories. Because a lot of the times an executive is like, nope, this is what we have to do. And some of the HR leaders are like, well, it's not great. And then you still keep saying no as a CEO or as an executive or a senior director in a company as a business partner. And, you know, it, it makes HR's position a lot more challenging when you guys can't come to a compromise on the people initiatives or you can't understand or put your like your feet in their shoes or the people's shoes. So I think you need to be open to that and think through some of the the challenges that may come with being an executive in that organization or being a politician and how it's going to impact like the words that come out of your mouth, the actions that happen as a result of those words, what is going to be the trickle down effect and get ahead of it and be a true liaison and a partner with your HR business partner. And like I said, I think Individuals from our last series in our podcast did a fantastic job of talking about how the voice of HR is super critical for us to leverage momentum moving forward within a business. So for me, I would also say that once you get that great HR person, you've got to develop a relationship and gain alignment with that person 
have some honest discussions about what you're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to accomplish, and how you're going to support each other. So, Maria, you actually are in the middle of filling, filling, filling a number of HR roles for an organization today. What are some of the things that you ask your potential candidates or your employees during the interview process to see if they are a right fit and they are aligned with the goals of your work of the organization? Yeah. So, you know, I uh, would say, you know, if you're working for a global organization during the recruitment process, talking a little bit about culture um, and engagement, as well as time management, um, because when you work for a global organization, 24-7 is probably, it's a little bit of extreme, but flexibility and autonomy in your time Um, you're going to have to understand that you're not going to be working a nine to five as much as you would like. Right. And then sometimes you have to be flexible, even if it's an hourly position, uh, you may have to get in on a five or six o'clock in the morning call, unfortunately, occasionally to then try to cross collaborate with other HR or employees and other, you know, departments or things like that. So flexibility and autonomy is critical culture There's, um, you know, kind of just a number of things that I take a look for and how individuals really are um, from an HR perspective, accepting or understanding. Right. So like for benefits, are you willing to do more than just a U.S. leave of absence or U.S. benefits plan? Are you, you know, willing to partner with different leaders within different organizations? Are you comfortable having those conversations? Because within human resources, you have to be comfortable like picking up the phone and calling somebody. It doesn't matter what level they are, you know, like it's it's just a person behind a phone or behind a video chat or whatever the case may be. And so having these areas from an HR perspective where they're flexible and understanding the business needs um, and whatever's critical for that, I think, you know, HR is a, is a critical component in any organization and each role has its significance, especially as you expand out an HR organization. And so I think it's most essential for HR individuals coming into an organization to understand the critical components. But also for me, I ask a lot of targeted questions about what's important to them in their next role. What are they aspiring to be? You know, not the five year. I hate that. What do you want to be in five years? Well, no one really knows, like, especially with the pandemic, like I'm just trying to survive like through <laughs> through this pandemic. Um, right. But <laughs> I think it's just uh, what, what do you, what do you, what are your growth desires? What are your most critical components in your next role. Like if time, if, if time is essential to you, like work-life balance, you know, that's going to be something for you as a leader to identify with and understand if those two are going to be a match, especially if it's an HR business partner who's going to be working with an executive or a leader, right? Like if, if times of an essence, like depends on who they're, who they're going to be a partner with, that's going to be and what type of organization, if it's just domestic or if it's more of a global based organization, I think 
So these are all the different types of questions I like to ask, in addition to obviously the essential functions of the role, if they're capable for it. So I always like to, you know, kind of do one of those, tell me about a time when, and then I kind of go into a lot of those, uh, you know, ridiculous questions, but it helps me understand if they've done it in the past. So you know, I, I wanted to highlight some of those pieces because I think it's critical for you to hire the right HR talent that's going to be investing into the business and into your leaders. And so trying to identify what's important to them, how they've managed some of the un- unique nuances you may have observed in your organization with other business leaders and how they can bring change and autonomy and innovation to an organization. So I think, um, and how they learn. I always ask that like, oh, so like, I mean, I'm constantly at, like on LinkedIn or online, like learning about new things, but that's like one of my top five strengths and strength finders is learner. And so actually like number one's achiever, number two is learner. So like I'm constantly reading articles to get ahead of the people aspect initiative in a business and how I can make an impact on it. So I always like to see what other HR professionals are doing to do that. Because even for me, if they're not certified in any sort of skill set in HR, whether it's coaching, whether it's talent development, whether it's, you know, whatever the specialty is, um, it's important for me to understand what their learning path is, because then they're going to be stuck in their ways. You're going to have somebody from 1990 still practicing 1990 HR practices, and there's no true innovation there from a learning perspective, from an employee relations perspective, from, you know, any sort of different type of HR umbrella perspective. They're going to constantly be wherever they started at your organization if they, do, they if they aren't those type of learners. So I think that's a critical component if you're an executive in an organization looking for your next HR individual, talking through some of those pieces, but also if you're within HR looking for other HR individuals to support the business those are essential things that I tend to take a look for when fi- uh, when finding my next team. I love, love those examples. I also love that you talk about the interview with the business partners and not just within the HR team. I mean, at the end of the day, someone in HR, unless we're talking about your um, C-level leader or executive is going to be hired by another HR person. That's that's going to be their boss. It's going to be who makes the final hiring decision. But there should be a collaboration with whoever their business partner is and that that business partner um, has had a conversation. And guys, if you put our previous podcast example to work for you, it means that you already know your big why, you already know your leadership philosophy, and you already know your values, or at least what you want to be known for. Use that as part of a conversation. Now, I will tell you, it does take a special skill to interview successfully. And one of those is that you don't lead the candidate, because if you come straight out and tell me that your leadership philosophy is X, Y, and Z, and I really need a job, I'm going to be like, mine too. So why don't you just ask me my questions? Like Maria said, like, what is your next step? Where are you trying to go? What are your goals? And then ask yourself, do those goals align with the, the organization's goals? What do you see as your leadership philosophy or what 
makes a leader successful? Is that aligned with your leadership philosophy? You know, how will you show up and support me and the brand? And then when they tell you how they're going to show up, does that align with how you want to be seen and how you want your brand to be seen? So it's really just a matter of changing those questions because you actually listened sat down and developed your personal leadership brand so you know what to dig into. And like Maria said, learning, and I'm, mm, you know, I love a story because so here's why I love stories, guys. That's how we learn. Ultimately, that's how most humans learn is stories. That's the reason parents and grandparents tell stories. That's the reason that You know, there's cultural differences in people because the legacy of stories are told generation after generation. It can sometimes be bad, but it can also be such a great thing to have that legacy and that heritage, right? So we learn through stories. I actually remember sitting in what was called a master facilitator training workshop. It was a four day workshop that ended with you being videotaped so that these master facilitators could watch it and review it with you and tell you what you did well and what you did not do well. And within 30 minutes of day one, this master facilitator, and we're talking about 2010 probably, This master facilitator pulls out a freaking wooden train horn and blows the horn to get our attention. And I thought, holy crap, are you in 1990? Are you in 1980? And am I in kindergarten? What is going on here? So to Maria's point, you want someone who is constantly trying to improve themselves Because ultimately, people look to HR to be an example of human interaction, whether that's how you communicate or what's important to you or how you develop yourself or how you lead other people. We go out on a ledge and we say we help companies have better people philosophies. So as a result, companies look at our performance in relationship to our words. So you absolutely, to Maria's point, you want someone who is constantly trying to better themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's that's the most critical part. Michelle, any, anything else that we missed out from an HR business per- partner perspective? Get yourself an HR person. If you plan on going anywhere, even if... In, you know what? We would love to help you because we love meeting new people and having deep people-related conversations. Remember I said I didn't like small talk. I like serious conversation. But this isn't just a ploy to say, call real talent. We can help you. It doesn't have to be a full-time HR person right away. If you're not at that stage, bring in an advisor or consultant who you can go to at any time. They'll help you set up your people 
philosophy from the beginning. They'll help you with things like developing your own brand. And then they'll become an advisor for you anytime you need them from that moment forward. So if you're a team of 15 and the idea of an HR person is just outside of the scope for you right now, get a consultant on a limited capacity at least then you're setting yourself up the right way. Yeah, so get yourself an HR individual, even if it's just an advisor, which would be a peer, maybe outside of your organization. So take a look, see how you can leverage that relationship and take it a step further. And next and final episode, we're closing out this series. We will be talking about how you build those relationships. Michelle has some great tips and insights to also share on this. So stay tuned, everyone. Take care. 